I love being a parent and with all of its challenges and emotions and its awkwardness, it's just an amazing, amazing thing. Someone once said that being a father is having pictures in your wallet where you once had money. I think that is me. Today we're continuing our fight series. We're going to be talking specifically about fighting for your kids. But before we jump in, I want to give you a quick update regarding Ecuador. Obviously, many of you have seen um, what's taken place there with the natural disaster. And if you've been at the crossing for very long, you realize as well that we have two churches that we've partnered with um, in planting and seeing those built. And many, many hundreds of you have kids that you sponsor through Compassion International. And so we wanted to give you a link, first of all, and if you want to copy this down or put it into your phone uh, really quick, um, that will continue to be updated. So you can go back to this link regularly. Um, The villages where our churches are are very isolated, and they are in that area where the earthquake hit. And so the information we're getting out of there is very slow coming. Um, We have already designated $5,000 that we've just set aside and, and forwarded there to begin that process. Um, and we have more funds that we have contingency to go as soon as we learn more about specific needs there in those churches. We want to make sure that we can come alongside them. We know um, that that is just, it's difficult anytime, but especially in that environment where things are not as developed, um, they are really wrestling with that. So we'll keep you updated as far as that goes. It's interesting because when you think about Ecuador, you think about what's going on there, in the, especially for parents, right? Because we look at those pictures, and behind all those pictures we see on CNN are families. There are kids that are concerned, they're, ang- they're full of anxiety, they're full of fear, and there are families and parents that go along with that that are also um, feeling those same things. Because we have parental issues, but you can imagine what those parental issues are like for them as we pray for them. And... Um, You know, I have two kids. I have a 20-year-old and a 17-year-old. And it has been the most awesome thing in my life to walk that journey with them. Great adventure. I love it. I love it. I love it. Somebody asked me a few weeks ago what parenting was like. And I think I came up with a pretty good answer. And I want to kind of describe it to you today. I told them that parenting is like going on a flight. I said, that's what it's like. It's like the joy of flying is the same as the joy of parenting. You know, when you, when you have a trip planned, maybe you're going somewhere, you're going to Hawaii or whatever, there's always that beginning point, right? And when we, when we do a pregnancy test and it comes back positive, we say we're what? We're expecting, right? And that's way down here on the flight plan. And that's like, man, we are going to have a kid, right? It's like we got to get a crib. We got to register. There's got to be a shower. It's like you're going to the airport. We got to pack. We got to have luggage. We got to plan our itinerary. We got to make sure we have a passport, all those things. We're expecting, and it is exhilarating. And you talk to those who have been on this trip before, and they just go, Yep, uh huh. (laughs) And then the day comes that you've been expecting, right? It's time to go to the hospital. In, in our analogy, in our flight plan, that is takeoff. We are loaded and ready. We are going down the runway and we are lifting off. I remember when our child, our first child was born. I mean, it was pretty awesome for me. My wife was struggling a little bit, but I was there over at Valley Hospital, and uh, I remember going to the cafeteria. I got some Cheetos and a bottle of Gatorade. They had that nice chair, and I was like affirming, like, you're doing good. It's good. And then all of a sudden, within a few hours, you've got this little person who is now part of your life. And then you take the person home. 
And your entire routine and your rhythm is forever changed. That's like takeoff. Like we're soaring now. We're, we're, there's no turning back. We're going, right? And then you hit cruising altitude. This, this is great. You know, the seatbelt sign comes off. You can move around the cabin. In parenting, it's like, stereotypically, it's like, you know, they're, they're six, seven, eight. It's like you've emerged from the cloud of diapers and potty training and, and the terrible twos. And they still like you. And they're learning and they're at that age where they listen to you. So you're teaching them. Dad, you're teaching them important things like baseball is better than soccer. Things like that. You're just teaching them like important things like giants better than Dodgers. Hate the Cowboys. Things like that. They're like essential in cruising altitude that people understand that these things need to go. But then, be careful. All right. We're cruising along and then the seatbelt sign goes on. Right? Turbulence, otherwise known as middle school. <laughs> I mean, little, sweet little Johnny doesn't, he's not sweet anymore. He doesn't even smell sweet anymore. Like, <laughs> hygiene, little Sally, is now she's got friend drama, and she, she's on her phone all the time. And, and you are buckled up, aren't you? Like, the fastened seatbelt sign is not just bright, it is flashing at you. Because you are going up and down, and the emotions and the roller coaster, all things. Some of you are there right now. Right? But let me give you some hope because after turbulence, it doesn't always happen at the same point, but eventually you will get to this point where you will finally, that little bing sound will happen and descent will begin to happen. You, you, it's like maybe later, maybe high school, they get their driver's license, they get that first job. They begin to have mature conversations with you, like you can actually talk to them. All right, some of you are still waiting for that, but it's coming, right? And, they, and, and the thing about descent that's really cool is the destination is in sight. You're not there yet, but it's, it's, in, it's in view. And then, here's, here's where it gets really interesting. Then we're going to land this thing, right? And it's really important that you nail the landing. And so you're... you're you're, you're very focused as we get near the end, you know. The graduation announcements go out and they graduate. The, the first job, they get that acceptance letter, whatever it is. And you cheer and, you're, and they think you're cheering for them, but you're actually cheering for yourself. You're like, yes, we made it. We got there. And you land at this destination that you've been planning for so long. And then we're at arrival and we pull up to the gate. We're so pumped. Now, here's the problem. Nowadays, we got a lot of people that just won't get off the plane, right, mom and dad? Like, we're sitting at the gate, disembark, get off. That's another sermon for another day. But you can see, you, it's true. And, and in this room, there are people in all different phases of this journey, the joy of parental flight. Andy Stanley said this. A few years ago, he said, your greatest contribution, mom and dad, to the kingdom of God may not be something you do, but someone you raise. The greatest thing you, the greatest thing you do may be the parenting that you are doing. That's why it's important that we fight for our kids. But we look at Andy, we look at the flight plan, and let's be honest as we sit in this place. We want to make that great contribution through our families and through raising our kids, but there may never be a time that is more challenging for families than the time that you and I live in. And I hear people use this phrase, 
We just want to be a biblical family. Seriously? Like, I looked this week, all week. There is not a normal family in the Bible, all right? I mean, come on. Go all the way to the left. I mean, the Old Testament, it's a hot mess, all right? It's just dysfunction. I mean, you start with Cain and Abel. You move to Noah. You've got, you've got Jacob and Esau, Joseph and his brothers. You get to David and his sons and his wives and all of that. So have at it if you want to be biblical like that. I think a better way to put it is we want to live as families from a biblical perspective. We want to have a biblical perspective. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. And here's why that's important. Because some of you, you're not there yet. Like you're not, you're not parents. You're not even there yet. And you want to check out and get on your phone right now. Some of you, you're done with parents. I don't mean like done like I'm done with that. I mean like you've finished. You've, you've arrived, right? But here's what's cool is if we approach the next few moments from a biblical perspective, the, the things we're going to talk about are really relevant to all of us. They're really relational perspectives and principles that come from Scripture. But I want to specifically narrow in and focus on today on parents. So no matter what your family looks like today, blended, step family, nuclear family, divorce family, single parent family, Manson family, whatever it looks like, I want you just to, I want to unpack some important words for you from the New Testament, specifically from Paul. And wherever you're at in this journey we call parenting, wherever you may be at in this fight, I want you to ask God to speak to you over the next few moments and to say exactly what it is you need to hear because what we've been doing in a lot of cases, what is considered normal, isn't working for so many families, all right? So I want to give you three scriptures, and you can look them up on your phone or they'll be on the screen as, as well. The first one is in Romans chapter 12, all right? Romans chapter 12, verses 9 and 10. Here's what Paul says. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. He says, don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly, mom and dad, to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Can you imagine how it would transform families if these words right here became the core value, the creed of every family? And we started living this out. Look at this little phrase at the end. Take delight. Like get excited about honoring each other. Honoring. What does it mean? To honor is to place a high price tag or to place a high value on someone else. What would happen if you placed that high value on your son or your daughter, your father or your mother, your family? And what does honor look like? What does it mean to honor? The first part of the passage paints a picture of this when it says this. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Don't fake it. Don't fake it. Let your love be like the love that God has for you. Let it be deep. Let it be wide and sacrificial and honest and selfless. No strings attached. That's the kind of love that Paul's talking about. We read about it in 1 Corinthians 13. Many of you are familiar with this passage. Here's what love looks like when we're not faking it. It says, love never gives up. Love believes with relentless conviction. Love doesn't compete. Love doesn't boast. Love honors, here it is, by considering first the needs of others. I love this one. Love does not keep score of each other's mistakes. Love looks for the best, believes the best. Love never fails. 
Paul says we got to honor, delight in honoring each other. Love this way. Love is more than an Instagram post or a Facebook status update. As we fight for our kids, let's lean into this kind of love and honor them. But also, Paul says, we need to be wise. That's the last passage I want us to look at. It's in Ephesians chapter 5. Okay, I want us to be wise, Paul says. He says this, be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Here's what he's saying. As the days get more evil, to be wise, you must also be prepared to be viewed as weird. Wisdom will look weird as the days get more evil. Because if you want what normal families have, do what normal families do. Just keep doing that. But if you want what few families have, be courageous and do what few families are doing which is weird. And it begins with this. Begins with determining what we value as parents. Mom, dad, as the point person, the person who is at the head of our homes, the lead. Here's what I want you to write down because this is the deal. When you go to lunch here in a few minutes or you go home, I want you to have a conversation. This is your homework assignment right now. Here's here's what's true. Our family values, our values are a result of either what we create or what we allow. I'll leave it on the screen for a second because you need to write it down. It's your homework. The values in your home, the vibe in your home, they are there either because you've created that intentionally or they are still there, but they are there because you have allowed them to exist and they have become values. Now, What that says is wise, but it may seem weird to some of us. Every home values something. So what does your parenting, your family say that you value? What is it? Where are your values? Some of you say, well, I'm not sure. I've never really thought about it before. I'm just trying to get through the day. Not really sure. Let me help you. There is one thing that is an indicator of the value system in your home. It's actually one word. Here it is. Time. Time. Time is the number one catalyst. It speaks and and reveals what it is that we have a value in our homes. So what do normal families in our day-to-day, week-to-week, moment-by-moment life look like in regards to time? Come on, people. They look overscheduled. They look overcommitted. They look overwhelmed. They look out of control, frantic, exhausted, all of that. Some of you, you came in today, you sat down a few minutes ago, and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm at church. I can rest for an hour, right? It's like, let's get to church. I need a break, right? It's the most comfortable you've been. In 1967, some of you have heard this before, but you need to be reminded, there actually were some expert witnesses who appeared before a Senate committee, and they said that because of all the time-saving technology that was being developed in 20 years, 1987, people would be working only an average of 32 weeks a year and only 22 hours a week in, within those 32 weeks out of the year. They said, listen, guys, the number one challenge in 20 years is going to be what will we do with all of our excess time? So let me ask you, is your primary challenge in regards to time what to do with all the leftovers that you have? Something tells me that's not the case. About that time, there was a restaurant that became popular in our nation. Awesome. 
a restaurant that sold food, not based on the quality of the meal or the basis of its price, but on the basis of the speed that it could be served. We love it. It's fast food. Not good food. Fast food. But it wasn't even fast enough because pretty soon that became too slow. You actually had to park your car, walk inside, go to the counter, order, find a table, and wait for the food to come to you. So we were so ingenious, we invented the drive through window. So now families could eat in SUVs and minivans just as God intended it to be from the beginning. <laughs> we live in a world where... The ethic is work more, do more, accomplish more, be more productive. And that is just normal. And normal is an insane pace. And just because it's normal, hello, doesn't mean that it's working. Remember, what did we just say? Our values are a result of what we what? Create or we allow. And too many of us, so many of us, are allowing this frantic pace to create values that we never intended to be there. So how do we leverage our time if it's this picture of our values, to wisely create core values within our homes so we can fight for our kids, all right? I wanna give you my top four, my top four values that I believe is what Paul would tell us when he said, love for real, be wise, be wise. I'm gonna give you four of them. Here's number one. Number one is create space, as it's a time thing, but create space for moments and memories. You know, we all wish we could spend as much time as possible with our kids, and that's true. But I think it's also important that we spend meaningful time with them. Did you know, this is, this is true, that you only have 940 Saturdays between your child's birth and when they leave for college, if it's a typical child. So if your child is now five years old, 260 of those Saturdays are already gone. Those opportunities for meaningful moments and memories. I think about our family this week. I think about memories and moments. I'm thinking, well, we're a pretty normal family, you know? We enjoy eating together. Sometimes, don't tell anybody, sometimes we turn the TV on and we don't sit at the table and we put our plates on our lap and we watch Netflix. It's not, it's not holy at all. And sometimes it's 90 degrees and we'll say, let's light a fire and cook s'mores outside. And so we, we have s'mores outside. And sometimes we argue about things and we have heated conversation around grades and who needs to do the dishes and why the trash never got to the curb and why the car came back empty of gas. And sometimes we get really crazy and we go on yogurt runs. And I thought about all that and I thought, here's the deal. Seemingly meaningless moments often become meaningful memories in our family. They don't have to be massive or magnificent. You don't have to go, man, Lee said we got to create memories, so we're going to Hawaii tomorrow. <laughs> it's not what I'm talking about. A lot of you can create moments and memory in these seemingly meaningless things that we're going, but we're competing. We have limited time, and we have lots of distractions. Sometimes I have to tell my kid, put your phone down. Sometimes they tell me, Dad, put your phone down. Researchers are saying this is true. They're saying that dopamine, it's that hit in your brain you get when you drink too much alcohol or you eat foods that you like or, or it's just that pleasure feeling that now they're studying teenagers and when, they're, when they get a text or their phone buzzes that they're now watching chemically, they're getting hits of dopamine. It's crazy. It's like we took the liquor cabinet for our 14-year-olds and we just opened it up and said, have at it by putting some, a device in their hand. 
And it's a reality that we now face. And so you are battling to create memories and moments because of the distraction and the time that's there. But you can do it. It's not what normal families are doing, but you can be courageous and do what few families are doing. It's value number one, which leads to value number two. It's close. Value number two is this. Create appropriate boundaries for them, mom and dad, and for you. Let's talk about them first, all right? We have this chaotic pace of what has become normal, pulling us in all the wrong directions. Now listen, every one of us, we ought to love sports, we ought to love activities and interest, extracurricular things. None of those are bad, but Paul said we need to be wise. And so I want to ask you today to be wise and to be careful. Boundaries for you, mom and dad, are often saying no for your kids when it comes to the plethora of extracurricular options that they have in front of them. I'm astounded by the number of parents who are so able to draw boundaries in so many areas of their lives, but are unable to say no when it comes to their kids. They're afraid. It's FOMO, fear of missing out. You're afraid if your kid doesn't do that or this thing or the other thing that somehow they're going to fall behind. Who cares? If you want to do what normal families do, then do that. But if you want to be courageous, have the value that creates appropriate boundaries for them. Most of us are living at a pace that is not only unsustainable, but frankly, it's unbiblical. Weird families know not to pretend that you love each other, but to really love them. Mom and dad, you love your kids by creating a value that says, we will have healthy, appropriate boundaries when it comes to your time and your activities. Also for them, somewhere between truth and grace, we also have to create some guardrails, some boundaries on their behavior and their lives. And they need to be specific to your family. This is where we create. Because if we don't create the boundaries, whatever we allow is going to be the boundary. And you can involve your kids in these conversations around guardrails. It was a great learning for us. When our kids turned 17, we'd say, when should you be home? You get to choose. 7, 7.30. Which one? When should you start dating? Let's talk about it. Before or after the age of 30? Let's have a conversation about that. Boundaries. For you now, mom and dad, there's also boundaries that are appropriate and guardrails for us. I don't want a family to know that I love them only in my heart. I want them to know that I love them in my schedule. They can see my schedule. They can't always see my heart. My son has never said to me, Dad... We spent way too much time together. You need to go to the office or something. You need to go like write a sermon because I'm tired of hanging out with you. To ask our family to take nothing but leftovers is not setting us up for success. It's not a value we want to have. Create a value that says, I love you. I love you enough to set appropriate boundaries, memories, and moments. With this in mind, thirdly, we want to create environments that are filled with healthy aspirations. Healthy aspirations. Remember what Paul said in Romans 12. He said, hate what is wrong. Hate things that are going to be destructive to your family. Instead, hold on to what is good. Sometimes expectations are unhealthy in our family environments. But healthy aspirations are important to forming a strong one. When a woman is pregnant, we say she is expecting. But parenting can be a paradox because then we can expect, expect, expect. Some of us expect the same thing for our kids. Perfection. Perfect boy. Perfect girl. 
Candidly, parenting for many of us is the last chance to be the person we hoped to be. Ouch. We want to get it right this time. We want it to be perfect. We want them to reflect us. And so begins the problems. Austin, my son, was about 14, and he'd been playing golf for a while. We decided we were going to get in a tournament, so we signed him up. I mean, he was fine. I was throwing up. I mean, it was bad. He was nervous. He tees off, and, you know, he's doing his thing. He's, he's, he's holding his own, and we're walking with him. The thing about golf is it lasts like three or four hours, so you're out there, and you're spending the time, and he's doing fine, but I'm watching, and one thing I noticed as the round was going on is the guys he were playing with, they were obviously a little more experienced, and they had, like, these nice golf bags, and they had these head covers over their clubs, and they had these towels that had logos on them. My kid's walking around with my bag. The strap's broken. It's banging against his ankle as he's walking around looking for his ball. And I know, I know. It's, I mean, golf is, golf's about character, right? It's about endurance. It's about, it's about just fighting through and grinding out. All those things. I, I, I know that. But I also know this. As soon as the round was over, we headed to Golf Galaxy. Because that fool was not going to be carrying that bag the next day, right? Because it was a poor reflection on me. I mean, we got him a new bag, new shirt, new, new towel, right? All of that. He was sponsored from that moment on. <laughs> the next day, man, I needed him to be good. I needed him to look good. When he made a putt, I felt pretty good about myself. I felt pretty good. When he hacked it around in the trees, I mean, it was embarrassing to me. I was embarrassed. Come on, kid, right? Because we all live in that tension, between aspiration and expectation, especially when you throw in a little realization for your child. Most of us, we, if we're honest, we lurch between the dark and the light, between the frustration with little Junior that he didn't follow the right path, or at least our path, and the irritation that we sense within ourselves for the demands that we continue to make. Recently, a new book came out that I encourage you to read called Love That Boy. It's by a, a guy by the name of Ron Forner, a jur- journalist. I read it over the last couple of weeks. It's the story of one man's journey to truly love his son, not pretend, even after discovering at age 12 that his son had Asperger's. It's his own personal journey and his struggle to adjust his expectation while not losing his aspirations for his son because his son, he realized, was not going to be the honor roll achieving, sports loving son he had envisioned and he had to deal with that. He said the following, a parent's love is largely unconditional. A parent's satisfaction comes with caveats. We need to care more about our kid's first name than their last name. Some of us wrestle with that. Of course, now listen, we need to have things that we're encouraging them to go after. We need to be aware of their interests, the things that bring them joy and excitement. But it needs to be the things that bring them that, not us that. There are expectations that we place on them, but let it be around things that involve character and faith, not goals scored and trophies won and certificates received and AP classes they are taking. My job as a parent on this flight is not to dictate their future, but my greatest aspiration should be to guide them towards falling in love with Christ, whatever their future may turn out to be. Listen to this. Craig Rochelle said this. 
He said, our greatest priority as Christian parents is to gradually transfer our child's dependence away from us until it rests solely on God, which leads to our last and final value. It's this. Create a faith-filled focus and future in our homes. Listen, I am so grateful for the ministries of this church, and many of you have experienced them or at other churches um, before this, and how they have partnered with my wife and I in this process of faith-filled focus and future. When we moved back to Las Vegas and joined the staff of The Crossing almost 10 years ago, my kids were in sixth grade and third grade. As happy as we were, we were nervous that they would get connected. I'm so grateful that through the years, for all the small group leaders and elementary teachers and student ministry pastors like Jeff Hinson and Mark Graham and Michael Watson and Nate Johnson and Phil Hoover, who poured themselves into my kids, complimenting what we had as a value for them. We couldn't have done it without them. You look around this room this morning, and there's orange shirts sprinkled throughout the room. These are folks who earlier today were, in, were next door, and they were sitting in a small group probably with kids, teaching them spiritual direction. Some of them have your kids right now. Your kids are sitting in a circle with a mentor who's walking them through and partnering with you in the faith-filled future that you want to have as a value for them. We're thankful that we never spent a, a day alone in this journey, that we as a church have a next-gen ministry that we care about, where leaders pray for them, give them a safe place for them to talk about their faith and their stuff, where they get to go to camp and mission trips. It's part of being a great legacy of our church. Our legacy is more than buildings. Our legacy is building the next generation. Because when we say yes to that generation, we're saying yes to the future. Just this past spring, my wife and I were empty nesters. Our kids on their own said, we're out of here. One got on a plane and headed to the Philippines, and the other, with our student ministry, hopped on a plane and went to Belize. And listen, we were proud and humbled, and we went to Disneyland. <laughs> Seriously. They were changing the world, and we were riding Splash Mountain. It was awesome. Now listen, allow me to be candid for a moment with you, please. Send me an email this week if you feel the need. But I just want to candidly say, so many of you that I talk to are making choices that are potentially limiting your child's spiritual growth. You are, and you're missing out on the opportunities afforded you by amazing people who are standing at the ready. That's what's crazy. They are standing at the ready to walk alongside you on this flight of parenting. I get so frustrated with parents who refuse to make weird but wise choices when it comes to their kids' spiritual development. They're concerned more about their academic development, their athletic development, which are important things, and they forget their spiritual development or they place it so far down on the priority list we can't find it. They sign their child up for every activity. They drive their child back and forth across town night after night, hitting every drive through in the city, eating dinner on their laps, and yet they struggle to see the value of engaging them in spiritual environments and making it a priority. If that's you, listen, I love you, but you're asking for trouble. Please don't be this parent who comes over here and they're landing the plane and they're sitting there off in my office and they're wondering why little Johnny doesn't care about Christ or Jesus or spiritual things anymore and they want me to get him in here so we can fix him. And I say, where you been? Where have you been? Parents, when it comes to spiritual things, let me boldly say to you, some of you need to aggressively parent. You are allowing 
instead of creating. Because you can't subcontract your parental responsibility when it comes to spirituality. The church is here to partner with you, but you got to do it. Listen, if you come here every weekend, say you come 40 weekends out of the year, right? We get about 40 hours a year with your child, maybe a few more. Your child will spend 300 hours a year doing math. Typical child spends 700 hours a year doing, playing video games. You get 3,000 hours plus with your kid. We get about 40. So we want to partner with you, but you got to do your thing. you got to make decisions, and you've got to partner in a way that says, let's be responsible for spiritual growth. Now let me give you some hints about your home environment. Because listen, you're going, oh, Lee, I know. You're thinking, you're a pastor. Like Chris Tomlin plays on repeat in your house, right? Your kids walk in and they fall on the ground. They're slain in the spirit. <laughs> Out. Keep believing the lie. The truth is, what we learned about faith-filled future is this. We learned that a faith-filled future is not found just in a devotional book or just in a Sunday morning experience. It's found in a process and by parents being preemptive. It means that you have spiritual conversations with your kids constantly. You're coming home from the soccer field, something happened where there's a spiritual lesson to be learned. You pick them up at school and something happened, there's drama relationally, and you drive it towards an understanding of what does that mean with your faith in Christ. You spend money and time if it costs you to get them into other environments where they'll learn to serve, where they'll see Jesus in other environments besides the little bubble that they tend to live in. And you get them to a place where as you begin to land at arrival, that you'll be pleased with the faith-filled future that they have. You say, oh man, Lee, that sounds like a lot of time. It sounds weird. If you want what normal families have, do what normal families do. But if you want what few families have, be courageous and do what few families do because time flies. Listen, despite our best effort, you're on this, people, all right? You're on this. Our time's limited. My daughter just finished her sophomore year. We're landing the plane with her. We moved her out of her dorm and into a home this summer. She's not coming home. She's going to work. She's got a boyfriend. <laughs> She'd rather be somewhere else than home with dad. And that's awesome. But I remember we were in takeoff phase. We're in the delivery room. We dedicated her like so many of you will do here in a few weeks on Mother's Day. We spent time in the backyard throwing a ball. She was awesome. And I look at her now and I see yesterday and I see today she's sharp she's educating herself she loves God and loves people most of the time and this week she wrote in her blog she said this as my sophomore year of college is coming to a close I'm realizing I'm stepping out of the controlled environment of being a kid to the out of control life of an adult reminds me of the words Jesus said about home building he said this Listen to the words of mine and be wise. Build your house on a rock. The rock of my words, my wisdom. Because if you don't, you build it on, if you don't build it on a solid foundation, you choose to build on sand, your house will be shaky, in danger of sinking. So I just want to say to you today, listen, don't be normal. Don't be like everybody else. Don't keep doing what you're doing and being frustrated with the results. Don't pretend to love, really love them, hate what is wrong, cling to what is good, love each other with genuine affection, take delight in honoring each other and build in the values, have that conversation today that will lead your children to the best opportunity to be who God wants them to be with a faith-filled future. Now listen, I don't wanna beat you over the head, mom and dad, listen. I know 
Oh, Pastor Lee's kids on mission trips, uh, right? I get it, right? I realize that sitting in this room today, that there's a massive gap for most of us between the parents we want to be and the parents we actually are. You're looking at one as well. All I want to do is give you hope and give you a sliver of conversation that you can have because it's not too late wherever you are on the flight plane, wherever you are, wherever you're on that plan, man, values, values, values. Today, you begin to create values in your home that will give you the best opportunity to arrive at the destination that you intend for you and your family.